Hey, everybody, it is I, myself, and me, Richard Harris, along with my friend Scott Lease, and another good friend uh, on the Surf and Sales podcast, uh, Gaetano. And I, I'm just going to call him G because I don't want to mess up the last name. What is it? How do we pronounce it appropriately, Guy? G. If we were in Naples right now, you would say Gaetano Dinardi. Okay. And, well, we wouldn't be able to do that in Naples right now because we're on lockdown. That's right. We, we just, <laughs> we're not going to Naples. Right and you're not going anytime soon. So exactly, exactly. You want that pizza? You got to get it somewhere else. In fact, I'm just a, I'm just like a quick 45 minute boat ride or so, maybe an hour boat ride from Naples. My family's history is from Sicily and Castellamare. Ah, beautiful. So we're from the same general neck of the woods historically. That's How did right. you get the name Lease then? Is Lease an that's Italian? Not, that's, that's, my, that's my dad's mutt name. Uh, okay. <laughs> my, 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 my mom's maiden name is Di Gregorio. Okay. Oh, really? You should change yeah. it. Scott. No offense to your dad. Yeah. Scott Di Gregorio sounds kind of weird, though. <laughs> nah, I don't know. Gaetano, announce, pronounce it that way. You know, do, do your Italian accent. So. Scott Di Gregorio. There you go. <laughs> uh, Gaetano, thanks for joining us. Um, Gaetano, for those who don't know, is the director of demand gen at a company called Nextiva. Before that, he was running marketing uh, for Sales Hacker. Um, and now he's currently, he used to live in New York. Now he's living in Miami, constantly working on that savage tan that he has. So we are very <laughs> jealous of him. That nice olive skin, baby. Come on. Exactly. Exactly. So, Gaetano, <laughs> just for context, you know, uh, why don't you do two things? Because this is, a, you know, in theory, it's a sales, a sales podcast, but we love having marketing folks. One, define a little bit of what demand gen means, right? Um, and if there's a difference between demand gen and lead gen. And then, of course, also first, maybe talk about what Nextiva does, just so people get a sense of, of where you're coming from as we have this conversation. And having me, um, obviously, I've known you guys both for for a while and uh, many years now, and uh, it's, it's awesome to be here. So thanks for thinking of me and thanks for having me on. I don't take it lightly. Uh, so with Nextiva, it's a cloud communications company, and essentially, we enable um, sales teams and support teams to to communicate with each other and customers remotely or anywhere you do business. So. Uh, the flagship product is digital phone service, voice over IP, business VoIP software, and we couple that together with uh, some other tools. So we, we have a CRM offering as well. Um, we have a, a survey and live chat offering as well. And um, the idea is that, you know, you could integrate with other systems or if you want to consolidate and, and kind of scale down, um, you can do that um, as, you know, you have all these apps that get added into your tech stack. It does get more complex as your business grows. And if you want to just kind of, um, you know, scale back down to the bare bones and consolidate everything under one system, you could do that. Or if you want to scale up and go the opposite way, you can do that too. Um, just depends on what's best for your business. So and, uh, yeah. Just so to even to clarify, as you think about the next Tiva customers, they are sales and they are marketing right? Because it, it can handle both pieces. Here, yeah. So here's what the next Eva, the ideal next Eva customer would look like, right? Um, so 
uh, a remote, a remote team, uh, sales and support teams. There's a good use case there. IT teams. There's a good use case there. And then just your, your, you know, middle of America, heart of America business owner. Right. So you, you, you may think about, uh, the kinds of keywords that, that we, we drive traffic for it's things like business phone service, right? It's, it's kind of vertical agnostic. So the, the, the myriad of different kinds of businesses that are searching for that on a daily basis are huge. And we drive a lot of traffic for these vertical agnostic keywords. So we, we kind of get, you know, the wide spectrum of, of customers. You know, we have customers ranging from Netflix to uh, Shelby American Motors, right? So you, you, you have some of these big name brands. And then you also have some of the, the, the brands that kind of are loved and respected uh, as your classic American business stories, if you will. Cool. So now talk about demand gen, like what define that, you know, it's, it's, you know, we've been hearing it for a lot of years. I certainly have heard it for a long time. I don't know if every salesperson truly gets it. Talk yeah. to us about what that role even means. And is there a definition depending on who you are and where you are? Yeah, for sure. So maybe before I, I tell you guys from my experience of being in it, what I feel it is today, there's not a universally agreed upon definition. Maybe I'll quiz you guys. Maybe oh Scott and Richard, you guys can take a stab like in a 30, in 30 seconds from what you guys know from, you know, being sales pros, wh how would you define demand gen? What do you think it is? A mythical creature that I've never had the benefit of working <laughs> alongside. <laughs> okay. For an answer. I love that one. <laughs> Cause that's true. A lot of people don't know much about it. Yeah. I would, I would say that it's the, it's the arm of marketing and sales that's trying to connect that message to drive more inbound traffic, right? How do you, I don't know if it's SEO and SEM, that could be a piece of it, but I'm hoping there's something a little bit more robust than that. But I think that in my head, that's what it is, but I, you know, who knows? Yeah. Marketing, marketing, marketing specific activities that are, that are designed to bring in inbound leads. You guys, you guys are getting there. You guys are definitely getting there. <clears throat> so <clears throat> The it's North Star, we, we didn't I mean, it was really good. It, you guys are both really, yeah. So definitely big. So here's the, I mean, you guys hit the nail on the head with one aspect of it, right? So, so the idea in the past was like, um, you would be a specialist role. Like you would start off as a specialist maybe. So you would get really good at like SEO, right? At, or you maybe get really good at SEM or maybe you would get really good at both. Um, but what people that are just like these, these functional you know, really mile deep specialists do is they focus on that, on that channel. Um, and that's all they focus on. Right. Whereas me in demand generation, you have to know many different channels. You have to know SEO, SEM, conversion rate optimization, marketing automation, email marketing. Um, and then you have to be coordinating all of this with sales and it's, it, it's, it can be inbound and outbound together. It could just be purely inbound. And, and dare do I say it could be purely outbound. I, I, I don't believe that's what demand generation is. But uh, if you're doing uh, a lot of outbound content creation, working with sales enablement. What, yeah, talk about that for a second. If, if there is a sales leader here and they're going, okay, I, I got it. But Kaitano just said something about outbound. And I, I, I've got a team of outbounders. Where can a sales leader yeah. leverage and partner with demand gen better to drive, to, to focus on that piece if they have an outbound team? Yeah, for sure. So, so, um, the North, no matter what you're doing, by the way, if it's inbound or if it's outbound, the North star metric really is lead quality. 
it's lead quality. It's not necessarily it's not. Lead. It's not lead volume. It's not lead volume. No, it's not lead volume. Good. Let's um, repeat that for everybody. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not lead volume. It's lead quality. So if you're doing ABM, of course, this is all. You know, it's a good mix of of outbound. You may have some you know, social, right. You, you may even have some, some inbound if you're doing like, let's say ABM plays that target a specific persona, right? Like let's say your buyer is, uh, I don't know, directors of it and you're doing a lot of director of it content or, or, or CTO or CIO content or whatever VP of it. Um, you know, you're going to optimize around these terms and then those, those, those people are actually going to start searching that for when they have problems that they need to solve, et cetera, et cetera. But if you're doing outbound with demand generation, the biggest value that you get is you really have somebody who knows content strategy really well, messaging really well, copywriting really well, understanding of the audience sometimes even better than, than sales, right? Because sales kind of may get into this rhythm of just like, yeah, like we know these certain key points and we focus on these all the time, but they may not have a lot of the research and a lot of the so, so go dig into that a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Dig into some of those examples though, right? Because those are, that sounds really good, but it still sounds buzzwordy, right? So yeah. I'm, you know, Scott is my VP of sales. I'm running the outbound SDR team. Scott's getting angry at me and using his Sicilian um, Italian accent, DiGregario. And he's like, Richard, come on, like get your shit together. You need to do better at outbound. And I go, Gaetano. What the fuck do I do? Scott's all up in my shit. What do I do? Help yeah. me. Right? Yeah, exactly. Here's what our team is doing. You know, we've got these use cases. We've got these case studies. We've got some good messaging and some outbound emails. What else can Gaetano help Richard with? Yeah, exactly. So, so the main, the main thing is coordinating with that sales leader on the kinds of cadences and plays that you want to run across different channels. So, um, you may, what you may want to do, for example, right, is, is, is go really big on a specific kind of retargeting and a specific kind of messaging that you want to hit over and over again. Sales may not have time to come up with. Give me, so give me an example of that, right? So Scott, Scott was the VP of sales at, or the CRO of sales at, at Qualia real estate, right? That kind of stuff. Like what would, what would get ex- me and Scott excited to go, okay, Gaetano's got this nailed down for us. Gotcha. All right. So let's say um, you're, you're doing this campaign, right? To financial services teams or financial services. That, that's the vertical you want to hit, right? You're going hard on financial services. Um, you got your target accounts identified and now you're like, okay, we, we don't know what message is working and what's not working. And when they get to these landing pages that we're ultimately funneling them to, what's happening on those landing pages? We have no idea. And that's where demand generation and sales can work together really closely. You guys can remove the hood and look at heat map data. You can actually look at what's happening on the page in real time when what's they're scrolling. Data? Define that phrase, heat map. Sure, sure, sure. So this is one of the this is one of the most important things I think in in demand generation and now even sales is you need to see where the mouse is moving on the page. Where is there a lot of activity? Where are the clicks going? Where is there confusion? Where uh, are people ignoring? What message and content is being ignored on a landing page, right? So you're doing all this work to get people to go to a landing page and check out your stuff, but there may be messaging and content on that page that's not, re- that's so not can, relevant. Can, that's not. Can I, can I ask you a question here? So sure. how closely is sales and marketing supposed to work um, together on these things? So for example, the content and the copy that's on the page, 
how much, if any of that should be authored by the demand gen person versus the head of sales or, you know, whatever the person's role uh, is over there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It should all be authored by marketing and, and demand gen, but it should be, uh, f- there should be a feedback loop with sales. Right. Okay. How, and, and, and so, yeah. so that feedback loop, like what would you say is the optimal kind of cadence for that? Is this something where, you know, you and I are meeting once a month? Is it every day? How, how, how short should that loop be? How quick, how often should we be touching base? Yeah, I, I like a once a month cadence. I do that with, with my sales correspondence. I'm like, hey, here's some new landing page tests we have rolling out. Here's some new messaging we want to try. Uh, here's some of the wins and losses from the tests we've been running. And then this is key. It's like on your sales conversations, what features are you guys coming across a lot? Because we, we have so many features, right? Which ones are the most important? We have landing page tests that have like the whole gamut of features. And then we have some where we just highlight only the top few. And then there's some where we mix and mash, right? So that's where we need sales help. Like guys, where are you guys getting stuck on calls? Mm-hmm. What kinds of things are, are, are resonating with the buyers and what aren't? Like and we're talking about auto attendant and no one cares. We should probably. What's the, best, what's the best way for, for you to receive that feedback? Is, is this just like, I have, so I run a sales team. I have all my team like, you know, send me over notes and, and different features that are really clicking and hitting. And then I compile all these things and I just hand you the, the list. Is that a good way to do it? Is there a better way to give you this kind of feedback? Real, real, real tactically. Like yeah, what is yeah. the best way for the sales team to get this specific feedback into demand gen and marketing's hands in a digestible way that you can actually do something with? Yeah. The best, the best way that we do it is we say, Hey, we need like, uh, you know, two or three reps who are like, you know, really in the trenches with this stuff who are, who are really, um, you know, maybe the top closer and maybe someone who's like in the middle of the, of the road somewhere. And then maybe some, one of the reps that just may have like a unique perspective or a unique approach to their, to their closing, right. Or to their, to their sales process. Let's, let's get a couple of different perspectives. Let's just get them in a room for 30 minutes and bounce ideas around. So that's it. Literally pull the, the frontline folks. That's it. Yep. So that's just it. Out of curiosity, because I don't know this, right? And, and, you know, sales is a little bit more impatient than marketing, I think. Although I know you and you might be a little impatient too. Um, let's say I roll out a new landing page and, and I'm hearing you say a couple of things. One is, hey, it may take a month to make some additions. Here's what we're seeing. But, hey, I also have this feedback loop with the frontline salespeople. How much data do you think is needed you know, um, how many page visits to make you feel like you've got enough good data to start making some adjustments, right? Because sales would be like, great, we put it up on Monday, let's see what happens Friday, right? <laughs> Daitano, change this, Friday. it's not working, right? Like, yeah. you're more, you're, you've been out of the game too long, Richard. Salespeople are, are not waiting until Friday if something went into effect. <laughs> that, on that's them. why I'm asking this question. Yeah, yeah, Honestly, yeah. Educate yeah, yeah. us on, you know, look, if you're, look, let's face it, if you're Google, right? They could probably do it in a couple of days because they got enough quality data coming in, but you're not, you're next Eva, you're, you're Richard Harris, you know, the Harris consulting group, your sales hacker, right? What, mm. what, what does that look like in your mind? Yeah. The data. So yeah, that's a really good one, Richard. I'm glad you brought it up. So it depends on traffic source because different traffic sources have different intentions. So for example, 
um, paid traffic, we, we, uh, we know that's very high buying intent and we can do, we can use a sample size calculator to, to estimate what the significant, the statistical significance would be. And sometimes we can get, um, we can flood that, we can flood those pages with paid traffic and get to a result that we need much faster. Um, it's what, what does that mean within days, within a week? Yeah. Ideally what I like to aim for is 1000 page visits to each variant that we're testing. That's like, I, that's, I think anybody would agree. That's like a good amount of traffic to get, but think about this, right? If it's, if it's PPC traffic only and it's $100 per click. So you're paying a hundred dollars per visit and you need yeah. a thousand of them. Ooh, man, that's going to be an expensive test, right? Damn. Yeah. So, yeah. so, so, so that's why you have to kind of monitor the test as it's happening and look at how, how the trend is. It's kind of like a horse race and you got to just intuitively know sometimes, okay, we have enough here to where we know what we wanted to validate has been validated. And we want to, and we want to pull the, the plug on this early because it's a really expensive you test. Find, just for example, on demand gen, right? And yeah. I know we're talking about a very specific use case of, of landing pages. And I know there could be others. Do you, aside from building the landing page, do you also try to create a hypothesis of, hey, here's the page and here's what we want to see. And after a certain amount of time, whatever you decide is right, we're going to uh, uh, re-examine our hypothesis. Totally, totally. Got it. So I want to I want to pull back out of this. Uh, we always, always start with that. Yeah. And an example of one is, yeah. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. So the most, one of the most common ones is like, what is the hierarchy of information on a page? Do people want to see pricing right away? Do, or do they want to see features first? Or do they want to see a mix of social proof, feature, price, benefit? How, what's the order of, of information that people want to consume this content, right? The thing is, price is usually the most important thing in our, in our world. So sometimes the, the thought is if we put features at the top below the fold, if it's like headline features, testimonial price at the bottom, they'll, they'll, they'll just skip over the features. Won't look at that. Just, they'll just go right to the price. <laughs> and then the other, the other, you know, chicken or the egg situation as well. If you have the price at the top and you have the features below that, they won't really look at the features. <laughs> just what, about, what about, what about the people who don't put price anywhere? It's all, it's all hidden behind a, a gate. Right? You know, I've never, I've never worked with a company that had, that had that. You are aware that these companies exist and are prevalent though, right? They are, they are. Yeah. And, and my thing is like, look, there's ways of finding out that price. That price is listed on an affiliate site somewhere on a review site, whatever, on a site that you probably don't want to control that info. And it's probably going to be wrong in many cases. So my thing is like transparency first, but I yeah. don't know. I, I, I've never dealt with any of those companies. I'm sure you guys have in your consulting um, journeys. What do you guys usually tell those companies? Well, I say the same thing you do. I, I think transparency is best. I don't know why we're hiding behind the price tag. The price tag is what it is. I, I think the most common thing I see now is like core kind of pricing listed and then enterprise pricing and it's just this mythical thing mythical thing nobody nobody talks about because you know you don't want to sticker shock somebody but you also want flexibility to like jack the price way up and all this kind of 
kind of stuff. But there's yeah. there's a lot of companies that have no pricing anywhere. Big companies too that we've all we all know of, right? Yes. Um, yeah, we see them all the time. <laughs> I want to I want to come out of this this rabbit hole. This has been good though because it's a good use case. Um, and I want to know a little bit more about Gaetano, right? Where'd you start? Like you are, I call you the Renaissance man. For those who don't know, um, I don't know if this is true, but I would say your first passion may have been music. Um, and I know you still play a lot of instruments and you like to perform. Um, you can probably YouTube and find some amazing stuff that Gaetano's done. He's done some fun videos. Um, he hasn't asked me to be in them yet because he doesn't need a middle-aged white man. But, you know, hopefully one day. He <laughs> so. We need you. We'll, we'll get you in there. Right. <laughs> uh, but where, like, where'd you grow up? You know, yeah. what's it like for you? Or, you know, when did you decide you wanted to go into business? You know, were you a kid who did stuff? How did, were you ever into sales and then converted to marketing? Like, what's Gaetano's origin story? Uh, yeah. Well, thanks for, for bringing that up, man. Uh, so so I, I grew up in New York, New York City. Um, raised in Brooklyn. And then um, I've actually lived in every borough of New York City other than Staten Island, which is hilarious. Uh, <laughs> no, one, no one gives Staten Island much love. But uh, yeah, so I grew up in New York City. And I, you know, music was always my first passion. Uh, play guitar, play piano, play drums, play bass, uh, produce a lot of music as well. And um, when I was in college, I started blogging about my music industry experiences. And I started blogging about music companies that were taking advantage of up and coming musicians. And then I realized that um, those articles were getting widely circulated and getting a lot of traffic by accident. Um, and I installed Google Analytics one day just for the hell of it. And I looked at the data and I'm like, wow, like there's people commenting on this. That's how I figured it out. Cause I was getting like hundreds of comments from people that I had no idea who they were. And this is back in like 2011. So, um, then I realized, wow, people are finding this through search engine cause they're searching is company XYZ legit. Ripping me off. Or, yeah. 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 Or is company XYZ a scam or company XYZ reviews and they were finding my articles and then people were discovering my music through that. And I'm like, Oh man, I like the idea of people finding my shit without me having to promote it. That's actually pretty cool. And then what I realized what it was, man, this is, this is like search engine stuff. And I wasn't great at it back then. Cause I just fell into it by accident. But the idea was I was writing really comprehensive shit and by nature it was getting found. Right. So I liked that concept. And actually at the time I was in college and I was also an account executive at a consulting company in New York and I was selling consulting services. And that's when I realized, well, inside, inside sales. Uh, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, in, yeah, I was inside. Yeah. I was inside sales. Yep. It was inside sales. Yep. I was on the phone a lot. I was, you know, closing deals. Um, I was okay. Like I wasn't bad, but I realized, you know, I don't hate sales. I just hate what I'm selling. Yeah. I, sales can actually be cool if you like what you're selling. I just hated selling consulting services and I was working with a bunch of British guys and they were just like really like dry and cold. Right. So, um, then while I was at that company, no any of our British listeners, I think we, we hit the top 100 in the UK, Scott, remember? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, people in the UK are, are actually, I think, pretty cool. I think these guys were just like, they were ex Navy Marines, uh, Royal Marine commandos. Um, so they were like tough, but anyway, um, 
I was like doing things there that kind of gave me the signal that I should be in marketing. Like I, I was digging into their analytics when no one asked me to, and I was finding things. I was looking at their website and calling out problems that they didn't realize existed. And they were like, wow, that's actually a great idea. So you, were one there, of those, you were one of those reps that was focused on like a lot of things, not exactly yeah. pertaining to your particular role in that moment. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And you know why? Cause I'm, I'm fucking curious. Yeah. Uh, I just, I, you know, I have an insatiable desire for learning. So then, um, I, uh, I left that company and then I decided I need to be working in marketing and I got a job at an SEO company right after that. And from there it was kind of off to the races. I got really, really good at like technical marketing, SEO, content strategy, um, paid marketing, paid acquisition, conversion testing. I learned all this stuff in an agency. And I think if you start your marketing career in an agency, you're going to be in really good shape. Um, I busted my ass, you know, worked for about two, two years straight in a really grueling environment. And then from there, I went to PipeDrive, uh, a sales CRM company, and I, I led SEO efforts there for about a year and change. And then How I Met Max was an interesting story. It was also blogging. So um, the, the key theme years. Yeah, the key theme here is blogging. Like blogging got me to where I'm at today. Like people, th like people think it's an underrated thing. It's writing, blogging, and sharing everything I know. So I was doing, I was writing SEO case studies and experiments back from my pipe drive days. I was doing teardowns of like Uber and Lyft, you know, teardowns of like Workday versus Hello Oscar. Like I was doing massive SEO case study teardowns and they started getting widely circulated. And, um, Max saw one of them and, uh, the intro, the intro was made from the site owner that I was guest publishing on these, these case studies to Max. And that's how Max and I met through, through, you know, me blogging. Um, and just so people know, we're talking about Max Altshuler who, who founded yeah. uh, sales hacker eventually sold it to outreach, but I just want to put that context in. So that's how you connected with him. But then how did you, when did that relationship I mean, because of that, did Max go, Gaetano, I, I think I could use you or did that take a little while? Yeah. So it was perfect timing. Uh, he was like, look, man, <clears throat> he called it back in like 2017. He was like, we're an events driven business. We got to get out of events. I need someone who knows digital. No one that I have right now really knows digital. I have, he's like, I have a couple of, you know, role players. I have, um, a really strong brand, a strong foundation within a, a niche community, which was B2B tech sales. And he's like, I need to take this digital. I need to get out of the events business and I need to go to digital. And you, I think you could be the guy you're, you know, you're up and coming, you're hungry, right? Uh, you got something to prove you, you've got a good myriad of experiences. I think now is a good time to, I think that, I think what he said was, you know, cause I had some other offers at the table. I was looking to leave pipe drive and I was telling him about like the offers that I had at the table and like one really big giant corporate company threw a boatload of money at me. And I was like, dude, like I have an opportunity to make all this. And he's like, well, you know, you could be uh, Kevin Durant and uh, abandon ship and, and go to the warriors I work for that other company. Matt, I'm <laughs> calling you right now. Yeah. Yeah. And he was like, or, you know, you could be like, uh, I think Chicago Bulls and try to make something homegrown happen, you know, uh, try, try to have your own legacy rather than join, 
the ranks of others who have already made it and you're just piggybacking off that. He's oh, like, man. what do you want to do? Do you want to, yeah. it was, it was good. It was good. Yeah. You know? And then the, the, the big thing obviously was remote. Yeah. yeah. Cause that was my first time, my portal into the working remote world and damn it. I would, uh, I, I made the right decision. You know, I gave up. This is 2017 G this is 2017. Yeah. Okay. So three three years ago you began the remote work three years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Three years ago. And I I would never go back to office life. And, um, you know, I made the right decision, you know, people, people, uh, you know, at the time were saying, damn, you're leaving a lot of money on the table. This big giant company is throwing so much money at you and all this stuff. And I'm like, yeah, but I would have uh, less satisfaction and less quality of life because I'd have to commute three hours a day. Yeah. So yeah, forget it. So now, now that like, you know, the whole world is damn near about to have to work from home. You've been doing it <clears throat> for three years. Richard's been doing it for even longer. Give, give a couple, you know, tips on how people can, you know, be as effective as possible, especially in that first like, couple month period, you know, I just started this remote thing, worked for myself from home in October. And it took me damn near three months to feel like I got into a good rhythm. So I'm wondering, I'm wondering what advice you can give to people out there who are going to be entering this um, situation for the first time now. Yeah. Okay. So you guys are are veterans. Uh, You've been doing this longer than me. Um, so if I miss anything, feel free to jump in. Well, but you mean we're, we've been in the universe longer than you, but you know, you've been working remote longer, longer than me. So you're more of an expert on this than me. Just don't give advice, like take a shower and put a, and get dressed. <laughs> I see that all the time. And I'm like, man, I don't put a collared shirt on every day. Give me a nah, break. Nah, nah. I, I mean, Scott, well, I, I rock Scott. like you hat and, and sports shirts you yeah, know man. liverpool plays later today so there you go you see what i mean as i can get yeah that's right and in fact that's that's what i wear to work like when i so for context for everybody um we're a hybrid team uh next marketing uh some remote some in office and it's unique because i am the manager of the team but most of the team is in the office <laughs> so how does that work right um and because um, when sales hacker got acquired by outreach, I was already in the process of moving from New York to Florida. And I didn't know that the acquisition was going to happen. And I didn't know that, um, I was going to be working for a different company entirely. Mm-hmm. So Nextiva was really cool about it. And they're like, dude, you know, remote work, you know how to get shit done. You know, we're cool with it. Right. Cool. So that leads me to my first tip, which is if you are managing a remote team, you have to manage from a mindset of, I trust everybody fully. And I'm not going to like your post, Scott, I think you you were right on the money, dude. Uh, So good. So, 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 so good. Uh, I, that's the key. That's literally the same bullet point one that I listed. Yeah. Page with that. Yeah. 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 So good. You can't have this mindset of like, Oh, what's this person doing at this hour? Or you have to be online from nine to five because that's the business hours of the U S or whatever. Everybody on my team has unique working schedules that work for them. And we work in weekly sprint fashion. So what you commit to on Monday, you must deliver by Friday, myself included. And if by Wednesday, you realize you cannot deliver it, you must speak up. Otherwise, you well, got to face the, you gotta yeah, face well. the Italian stallion, right? <laughs> <laughs> so so that's, I think, t- <laughs> that's tip number one is you have to lead from a place of trust. Um, I think uh, tip, tip number two 
is that you do have to find what works well for you. If it's a coffee shop and you like the busyness of it and you're able to kind of zone out because you're or zone in because you're in a coffee shop, that's great. Uh, if you like working from your bedroom like me, uh, that's great. If you like traveling around, I probably wouldn't recommend that right now. But if you like doing that, that's great. Um, that, so, so that's, I think, really important. And then I, I guess I would also say that the final thing is you have to be a really, really good over communicator in written form because, yeah. uh, because not everything requires. Can you, can you explain to people who might not know what you mean by that, by over communicator in, in written form? Like what would be a good example of over communication? Okay. I, I got you. So we manage all of our tasks in Asana. We're trying to be as email for for people who don't know Asana as a project management tool. And um, rather than just saying something like Gaetano, repeat that part again. Your your mic went out on me. Sure, sure. So Asana is a project management tool, and we're trying to be as emailless as possible. So keeping all task oriented communication within a project management tool within the appropriate task or project. So it's and fewer emails. We're, yeah. We're, we, we try not to do anything through email. Yeah. Yeah. Not, unless it's like, you know, I don't, I don't even know what an example might be like, Hey, I'm going to be, you know, offline for a few hours today or something like that. Right. Like, I guess that's fine, but it's, it wouldn't be like, Hey, we have a landing page problem and we have to fix it. it would, we would never do that through like chat or, you know, we keep that in the project management tool. So an example of over communicating might be um, giving context around why this is a problem, right? Because there's a lot of different people who see stuff like our marketing operations director. He may just want to know, like if I, he sees a lot of the stuff that happens. That's the other cool thing about the project management tool is there's a lot of transparency. Anybody can look at anything, see what anyone's working on. Like, and that's the, another beauty of remote work is like not everything's in a vacuum, right? With these project management tools not everything's so easy to see what everyone's working on, what everyone has capacity to do, uh, what the sprint looks like, what the workflow looks like, what everyone's utilization levels are. It's great. Um, so an example of over communicating might ex- be explaining why something is a problem, why we need to do something, what the uh, estimated benefit and impact is uh, if we fix this problem, what is the impact of the problem, right? All this stuff. And then exactly, then actually uh, tactical steps on like how we can fix it me explaining all these steps to the dev team and then also giving like Google documentation on like, you know, technical details. So I do a lot of the research for them. I don't just say, Hey devs, you know, this is broken. Go, go figure out how to fix it. I actually do the, go the extra mile. This is what you're supposed to do of outlining all this stuff. And, and people say, you know, this takes too much time. I don't want to do it. But if you don't do it, it could be misinterpreted. It could be done wrong. You have to go back and do it again. Or it could right? take forever to get it done take forever to get it done because they don't understand what you're asking for, right? The key thing is like, you should never have anyone come back and say, I need more context. I need more clarity. You should give that as much as you can up front. And then that won't happen. They'll just be like, Oh, I get it. I know exactly what happened. And and your pro tip here is do that in writing. So whatever, whatever channel of communication you're using. Yeah. Don't do it over a call because it's too much. It gets lost. Right. And then the final thing, and we, I do this in almost all areas of marketing is, um, in every request, there's something called acceptance criteria, which means this task is done when this happens. That's how you know it's done. Hmm. And what is, and what is that final checkbox? Yeah. That final checkbox might be, for example, um, pricing module, 
updated to have new call to action language, um, works correctly on mobile tablet desktop and, um, has the new banner that we designed in Adobe XD implemented. Right. Uh, yeah. that, that may, it, it has all these things. So it, it's not just like update pricing module. So right. I have a because <laughs> I, I yeah. love what you're talking about. Um, and I love that, you know, as you're doing projects that's managed in Asana, just out of curiosity, how many internal work emails do you get daily versus what you see in Asana every day? I'm just curious to, cause I see companies where, you know, there's 30 inbound, you know, there's 30 emails. And I love this approach you're saying of like, look, the communication happens in the platform where the decisions are being made, not okay. some generic Slack or email all-inclusive inbox, right? So I'm just curious, like, what kind of results have you seen out of that? Oh, it's great. It's great. And it was a big culture shift. Um, I, you know, I was a big driver of this because this is how we operated at Sales Hacker. It was really good. Um, but I would say the ratio of communication. No wonder, no wonder you never responded to my fucking emails. Nobody told me communication when I, when we were <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the ratio is typically like one to 10. Like if I get like 10 emails from like, you know, internal and usually it's all like, you know, Hey, quick notification from HR or something like that. Right. Right. Um, versus like what I see in like our, our marketing project management, you're going to get like probably seven to 10 X that. Right. Um, and it's, you know, it's, I think, I think it's the right way to do business now because Asana also has a mobile app. So if you're remote, there's going to be times where let's say you've given dev all this stuff and they just may have a quick question. You're out to get lunch, whatever. And like a yes, and, no kind of thing. Or you're in the back of the Uber or whatever. Right. So like, Hey, big deal. You know, you're at lunch somewhere. Yeah. Quick. Yes. No. Yeah. That looks great. Or this, that, whatever quick clarification thing. Boom. And then uh, from the mobile app, you, you, you know, that mobility is there with you. Right. So you, you can keep work going everywhere. Uh, and then I guess the final tip is know when to shut off from work it can be very tempting to just work nonstop work around the clock. Yeah. You know, my schedule, for example, I start work around 10 30, 11 AM. I work to around three or four. Then I take a huge break. Um, I'm off from like four to like nine, four to eight. Like I, that's my time to just chill, clear my head, go for a walk, go for a run, go to the gym, play some hoops, whatever I want to do, play some guitar. And, and then, then you're back it, on. Yeah. I like going on eight, 9 PM till around yeah. midnight. I just like doing that because I, there's not all this stuff happening. Less, there's oh, not, do you find there's less noise? It's similar, way less. similar to me uh, when I used to get up at like four, four thirty, five o'clock in the morning, there was no noise. Now I'm now that I'm working from home. I'm doing a similar thing as you, my kids get home like three or four o'clock and I'm kind of screwed until about nine o'clock when they go to bed. And then at nine o'clock, like all of a sudden I got another hour and a half, two hours of work I can get done and there's no noise flying around easier yeah 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 exactly exactly yeah so i guess those are my tips guys i don't know if, if you guys have any others i mean from what i've seen those are the key things yeah so i got we got two more questions one scott doesn't even know about and then we'll go to our standard last question you never know what the hell you're gonna ask for i know because <laughs> i'm gonna throw you under the bus um but but i think it's an interesting play is that i remember you know having started to work with Gaetano a couple of years ago at sales hacker and Scott was starting to dabble in this consulting and writing some extra stuff and trying to figure out what he was going. And I was like, Oh, Gaetano, you need to meet Scott, Scott, you need to meet Gaetano, Scott, you should write some shit for sales hacker. And, uh, and, and, and somehow the communication wasn't going well because Scott goes, 
this fucker Gaetano, who the hell is he? Yeah. I do oh, remember that. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah, 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 so, yeah but, but, yeah, yeah. but, but, and I'm not doing it from the place of where, I, you know, yes, the uncomfortable <laughs> is funny here on a podcast, but I also think it speaks a lot to, okay, there's a new demand gen, there's a new marketing person, there's a new salesperson both coming together. How do do, how do two people come together and figure shit out? Right. Because we both walk in with these egos. We've all walk in with this. This guy doesn't know what they're talking about from a sales perspective. This guy doesn't know what we're talking about from a marketing perspective. Like, you know, so I'm, I'm just curious, like in y'all's relationship, because I know it happened offline, at least not with me around. How did you guys start to finally start to trust each other? That's that might be the best question. How does sales and start to marketing start to trust each other better? Yeah. Oh, man. I th- <laughs> Cocktails. Yeah, I mean, um. <laughs> I, 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 think, I think Scott's right. You know, there, there is like an element of like, we should bond outside of work. That certainly helps. Um, but I think it's just working together. You know, it, the, the, the bigger the gap between uh, the meetings, I'm not saying you have to meet, you have to find a good cadence. Like that's what I think it comes down to. You have to find a good rhythm of what is enough communication for both sides. And if you're just constantly working together and keeping those lines of, of communication going and, and results are coming in um, and you're, you know, you're striving toward a common goal and you're testing things like, you know, we're testing things all the time at Nextiva between marketing and sales. We're, we're testing, for example, okay, when uh, an MQL comes in, let's try, let's try it to where marketing gets out of the picture where sales just takes it all. Our VP of sales is like, yeah, we want to try it. We want to try a 14 day SLA in, instead of a seven day SLA, for example. Right. Uh, we want to, they we're, try, we're tr- so we're constantly testing and trying different things. And I think that's cool. Like, I think that's what sales and marketing working together should, should be. Um, and I think the more you guys work together uh, and the more experimentation and learnings that come out of it, it's just going to be a better all around relationship. And I think that's really just what it comes down to. Well, one of the challenges that, I, challenges that I've always found is like, you're supposed to build this relationship with your team and your people and get to know them and know what makes them tick. And you've got plenty of time and opportunity to do that when you're running a sales organization. But all of a sudden you add marketing team in and they just throw Gatano and I together and expect us to be able to work perfectly and seamlessly, right? Like, Dude, this is not an arranged marriage, okay? Where we're just expected to. Well, actually, it is an arranged marriage. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's an arranged marriage, that, and and that it's not gonna it's not gonna work, right? And so, to me, I, I build trust basically in, in in two different ways. I need to understand who this person is, where they come from, where their heart's at, what their intentions are, where they're you know strong or weak or what they're dealing with, and all this kind of thing, and I can't do that when you just throw me into the mix with some- my dogs are about to go nuts right now, by the way. Okay. Well, they just, they just bark like, like mad. So I can't do that. So I'm kidding about like, you know, getting drinks with somebody, but like in order for Gitano and I to, to work better, like I have to know more about him and where he's coming from and start to have some kind of relationship. And if I, and if I don't have that, you build trust with me by speed of uh, execution and speed of response. So like when I first met Gaetano, like I didn't know all this stuff that I know now about, um, you know, all the different like channels of communication and like persona and whatnot. I sure as shit didn't say to him, like 
should I text you? Should I email you? Should I Slack you? I don't even know if that was a thing back then, but right. So like I couldn't get a hold of him. So like, I just remember like being introed by Max and by you and, and like this arrangement started to happen. I'm like, who the fuck is this guy? Like we just got introduced by two mutual people. And like, I can't get a hold of this dude. Right. So those are, those are the ways to build trust for me is if, if I don't have that relationship, like I just try to get shit done as fast as humanly possible because you might not know me, but now you know me because I'm reliable and I, and I do what I said I was going to do. Right. And from that place, the relationship can start to build if I don't have time to spend with that person kind of, you know, offline. Right. Um, so that's, that's kind of my, my perspective, a little bit different take maybe. I think you nailed it, Scott, as usual, right? Like Scott's that psychology degree behind him, right? So he's always a thinker. Um, yeah, it's on the wall. Yeah, right no, I, I agree, man. I think, uh, <clears throat> yeah, so I think at that time, I remember exactly what we were talking about. Uh, Richard was, was helping Scott get intro to Sales Hacker to, to write some stuff for the blog. And it, I think the context was, yeah, Scott just, he just released his book. And he uh, wants to um, take some content from the book, maybe repurpose it, help get the word out about the book. And I think what happened that very week was like, I was just having a bad week actually. And, um, and this is the other thing you don't know about marketing or sales. You don't know what's happening in someone's work life, professional life, whatever, personal life, whatever. Um, I had gotten like pitched like five, six people who just released a book. And wanted to like cheaply copy and paste shit from the book and just like blah here, just take this, take my shit and take my shit and publish it, you know? And I think I was just like annoyed at the whole, Hey, I just released a book thing. And like, my mind was like already going numb to people who have like written books recently. (laughs) And, and and I didn't know Scott at the time. LinkedIn wasn't as big of a factor as it is today. And I, I, I was just like getting bombarded with too much shit. And I was just like, yeah, I'll just get around to it when I get around to it. And then like, I think, we rejected the article. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, Scott. I think that was it. So, hey, uh, yeah, well, but well, well, to the story for everybody is, you know, I clearly didn't quit or give up on the relationship, right? And I didn't get written off by Gaetano or Max either, right? We we somehow, and I don't, I couldn't even tell you how, but like we all continued to kind of communicate and stay in touch, and then the relationship kind of started and, and the trust kind of built and, you know, shit eventually did get done. I wrote a couple articles for sales hacker and we've collaborated and talked many times offline about, about things. So, you know, like anything else, it's just one piece of rejection. Just keep going. Don't give up on the That's deal. Or don't give up on the relationship. You know, That's right. That's right. It all takes time. So I'm glad we made it to where we are today. Yeah. Yeah. So the last question, Gaetano, uh, we'll flip it at the end, which is how can we help Gaetano? Whether it's helping you, you know, do we need to go subscribe to your music channel? Do we need to, um, obviously we'll, we'll comment and share on your posts. Is there something we could help with next Tiva? Like how can we help Gaetano? And I, you know, first of all, I appreciate the question. You guys are helping me already. Just having me here, you know, um, welcoming my ideas and thoughts to, to your audience. That, that for sure is great. Um, I would just say, you know, um, I have a podcast that's, that's launching. It is launched. Actually. I I only have the intro episode up right now, but it's the musicians in tech podcast. Yeah. So, so you can just search it and you'll find it. The musicians in tech podcast, you can subscribe and then the episodes are going to be 
Well, you can interview me about how not to be a good one. Um, like, if it's it's if you want to learn more about how the music <laughs> I mean it would be cool to interview people like 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 you and Scott for for that audience right to get this this uh, side of it because you know here's what we here's who we interview fact that nobody fun, fun fact that nobody knows about me yes i've i've been in multiple bands oh. word is out there now well we maybe we, maybe we need to to un, un, untap that but uh yeah so you know, if you, if you're a music producer in the music business and you've done cool shit and you have some good accolades under your belt, we interview people like that and just talk, talk about their success stories and talk about how technology is enabling them to advance their careers. And then on the business side, we interview like, uh, for example, we had like the SVP of sales from universal music group. And it's really interesting to hear those kinds of stories because that world is just so different from the 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 world that we're in of like SaaS, right? It's not it's not SaaS. So hearing how all this stuff just works and happens is really cool. And if you want to learn more about it, you can just subscribe to the Musicians in Tech podcast. Awesome. Cool, cool man. Thanks, buddy. Always yeah. good to talk to you, man. Thanks for spending some time with us. Thank you guys. I really appreciate it. And uh I, I'm looking forward to blowing this episode up whenever it drops. Dude, right. You got to make sure you get more downloads than Max is going to get. Yeah. Oh, I'll definitely get more. <laughs> so, all right, Gaetano. Thanks, right. brother. We, we love you and thank you very much. Thanks, fellas. Love you guys. Thank you so much.